This episode of Making Games is Fun is with Dan Ma. Dan is the editorial director at Explosive Allen, but you may know him from Inside Xbox or Video Game Nation. We talk a bit about all of that. We talk about growing up with a thirst for games and games journalism and how Dan just sort of always knew that he was going to get into the line of work he's into, basically, and it, his obsession with the Spectrum and all the, the magazines that came out at the time. And It's something I can relate to. I used to love reading that stuff. Absolutely love it. So we talk about all that. Um, yeah, always knowing where his career path was going to go from like the age of eight, which is madness to me because I only just figured out that this is what I'm meant to be doing. I think, I think. We talk about how he was appointed to salvage, essentially, Video Game Nation on a shoestring budget and turn it into an iconic show. And we talk about, as I said, going from Inside Xbox to Explosive Allen. Some lovely stories along the way about all those things, about his first sort of experiences of living in London and where he is today. And it's a brilliant chat. Dan is easy to talk to. He's fun. He's a good laugh. He brings the energy that I sometimes lack because I am slightly slower paced and smoother in general. So yeah, it was cool to have him on the show. He is the seventh Dan to appear on the show. And yes, my goal is to get 10 people called Dan on the show. It's not, but it is going to happen at this rate, isn't it? Uh, anyway, we have a Patreon, which you'll know if you're listening to this on the Patreon Early Access tier, which is $3 per creation, which is absolutely nothing in my opinion. But any support by just listening to the podcast and enjoying it and telling your friends about it, as they say, is appreciated. There's also a $1 tier, or you can pay whatever you want. Any support is massively appreciated. But I will always make these podcasts, no matter what. You can't get rid of me. Ha! But if you are interested in supporting this podcast, if you think it's quality content, you can help me do that, because I make this stuff in my spare time, of which I have very little. Head over to patreon.com forward slash M-G-I-F, and you can find out more about why I do this, and why I'm asking everyone to throw me tiny bits of their change out of their pockets like a cheeky boy I am. I'm going to leave it there and say get ready to listen to the seventh Dan of the podcast. It's Making Games is Fun with Dan Ma. Dan, I think you're the seventh Dan I've right. had on here. I think so. I was trying to count them. Yeah. In terms of karate, that means I'm the best one. Doing yeah. yeah, exactly. More and more skilled as yeah. we go, right? <laughs> yeah. So that's good. You're just not allowed to interview an eighth, ninth, or tenth now. That's fine. Grandmaster. Yeah. The Grandmaster, Grandmaster Dan. Dan. <laughs> <laughs> so, is there ever call you Grandmaster Dan sure. for the duration? Yes. Of sweet, sweet. Uh, we're going to start. I demand it, in fact. Yes. <laughs> in fact, <the> point <laughs> of the Otherwise, this is done. 
Uh, I always wanted to do one of those the noises interview cancelled noises where people are like, no, I'm sorry, no, 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 that's it, that's it, no, 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 the age of like eight seconds freaks yeah weird awful people in fact and i wish i could just remove them from <laughs> retroactively delete them i mean i could do that kind of from existence from, from no <laughs> <laughs> we'll start with just the podcast okay. and then work so, our way up from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 see how i feel but um <laughs> but that was not the case with you was it you were no you were day dot and we were just saying uh with similar age yes and you had a Spectrum? Was I did, first? I had a Spectrum 48K. That's boy. I was a Commodore 64 over here, mate. Spectrums so forever. Delete back. Delete um, him, delete him. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's probably from a time of early cognizance. That's one of my earliest memories, is yeah. my parents bringing back the Spectrum. Do you remember the first game? Um... I couldn't. I couldn't say what the first game was of the. It was one of those that came with a bundle of games. I remember what mm. the collection contained. Right. Right. Yeah. It had Scrabble. <laughs> Pointless. Just do it on the board. You could just cheat on it. It was brilliant. You could enter all seven letters on your rack, and it would say, "Is that a real word?" And you go, "Yes." <laughs> That's great. That's fantastic. So it just became a case of who could get to the triple word score with Z the fastest, effectively. Is that a real word? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Of course, Zygmunt is a word. So um, Scrabble, um, Checkered Flag, which is a Formula One game. Ooh. Um, what was the other one? Spitfire 40, Horace Ghost Skiing. Uh, they're, they're the ones I remember. Horace Ghost Skiing is probably the one I remember most vividly. Mm. Because of the shape of that motherfucker is strange little blue bastard. What is that? What, what was Horace? Where where is what bit of him on him? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> he was just like eyes, head. But, but he definitely eyes, not just giant holes in just his form. Voids. Yeah, <laughs> voids. Look into my voids. In which people's souls were absorbed. <laughs> um, you know, e even someone with soul absorbing eyes needs leisure time. <laughs> That's what I've always said. Because yeah. his previous game was, well, I don't know if it was previous or sim the same time as Hungry Horace, I remember. Oh, shit. You know what? what? So that's just the two plot lines, isn't it? Is it the same Horace? It's, I believe it's the same Horace. The same Horace. Yes. And in one of them, he's skiing. And in one of them, he's, <laughs> he's, hungry. he's hungry. Yes. Post ski, I yeah. presume. When he right? hungers for more souls. Yeah. <laughs> We've only got open sandwiches, I'm afraid. It was, it, was, it was an odd game, wasn't it? It was a fusion of genres. It was pretty much Frogger to start with because Horace had to get across the road to get the skiing supplies, Yeah, which is which was hard enough. And then only then were you rewarded with the actual skiing slaloming segment of it. Yeah. Well, old, old games, 80s games, yeah. were all sort of weird existentialist fever dreams anyway. They were brutally difficult um, and mostly broken. And everything was out to kill you, like paper boy, right? Yeah. Just, just you're just going down the street. You're just putting papers down. There's, but no, apparently, literally everything is trying to kill you. Everything is trying to kill you. <laughs> just mercilessly difficult that game. Jet Set Willy is always the one that 
you know, is held up as the benchmark of just brutally unfair. Everyone yeah. remembers the banyan tree. Yeah. Just stop it. And then it, <laughs> and then it turned out it was actually impossible to finish the game. There was a certain room that you entered, which then made four of the rooms instant kill rooms. So it was it was impossible to finish the game. <laughs> Fuck you, Matthew Smith. And it was like, this seems fine. I'll just take this out <laughs> there. Fine. Like, no patches. Where's the patch? Where's the yeah. day one patch on you it? Got, you got sent a tiny bit of magnetic tape that you then had to, like, manually <laughs> put in the right. and slip back into Patch the it in yourself. It's mm-hmm. like, yes, just like... Three meters, seventy-five centimeters into the tape reel. Snip out that segment. Replace. Imagine that. I never thought of patching cassettes before. Yeah. That'd be brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Just put it out and said, oh, "What are you going to do, mate? You bought it now." Yeah. No, none of this. Uh, you can't Twitter mob him or anything. No, no, nothing. You have Glorious. To, old-fashioned way. Go down to his house and leave a turd on his doorstep. You know. <laughs> Old-school trolley. Or just get a sentient, malevolent coffee cup to move up and down outside his front door. <laughs> So he has to deal with it every morning, so he fucking likes it. Yeah, just an angry lady <laughs> to stand at his door and point, and not allow him into his own house until he finishes his game. Just forever. That's what I mean. It's, it's horrifying. If you made that a live-action film, that would be tr- real horror. I'd watch it. would be some lynching It'd shit. It'd be like, well, yeah. It'd be one of those sort of East European efforts you used to get on Channel 4 at one in the morning. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, there's your first ones. Then you were, you were mm. hooked. Hooked and hooked and hooked. Hooked and hooked and hooked. And you sort of... There's no lapse in your game time. You just went all the way up, all the way up to the big consoles. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I, I guess to the, to the, the sort of loss of everything else <laughs> <laughs> into oblivion. Yeah, no, I just, I just, I would just absolutely went full tilt in into into gaming. So yeah. I got into the magazine side, and I was just like voraciously reading. Crash and Sinclair User and your, Sincl- uh, your Sinclair and computer and video games and yeah. just worked my way up and up and up and up and just I was into the whole culture of it like I wanted to be a games journalist immediately I never wanted to make games I just wanted to play them and write about them that was always the right that so was always the goal so what, what what sort of age do you think that probably about eight or nine really yeah I was really um, enthralled by the idea of the community within. A games magazine because you'd always mm. you'd learn about every individual member of staff and they'd write funny things yeah. about them especially at that time as well yeah and they'd have the relationship and you'd get a feeling of their personality through the reviews and stuff and you're like i want to be in that working environment that just seems like the most fun place you could possibly work <laughs> yeah they always have the picture in the front row and barry always makes the tea but he does it shit yeah exactly <laughs> You know, this week he's what's what's, what's Derek playing th- this month? You know, it's like oh, I really care. And the little brackets, and I, I think you're lying there, Barry. Dash Ed. Ed yeah, exactly. Ed's <laughs> comments as well, which I naturally like absorbed into Mate. myself. There was no Ed; it was just me self-edding. Yeah, because yeah. I thought self-edding. that was what they did. They probably did do that as well. I remember uh, that so clearly. Yeah, it was. It was just. It was just. Every, everything to me and um yeah and I, and I think to the point that it really started to like piss people off at school because it was just it was all I, it was all I cared about it really was it was all I wanted to do so did you did you have a phase did you make little circulate any little games newsletters or anything like that did you have a go did you write reviews at I, home no I did anything? I did write um a Rainbow Islands fan fiction though <laughs> Okay, <laughs> which I was very that proud of. Very strong, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Rainbow sort of, Islands. Rainbow Islands. I just really like that game, and I sort of wrote like a level by level breakdown of what Bub did. 
what Bob did. What Bob did. <laughs> no sex stuff, honest. <laughs> I was way too innocent for it, but it sounds so fucking sinister as well. What what Bob did. I mean, it sounds so sinister. It was, it, but it was. I was so proud of it because I think I sort of replicated the cover. I like hand drew the cover, and then we had like a bubble jet printer at home, so I printed off the pages and sort of, you know, stapled it together like a little book. <laughs> oh man, I love it. Why? So why did they turn into people? No, they they were people. They were people then. So Rembrandt's is a prequel. No, I think it's a sequel. They were people who had then turned into dinosaurs. And I think if you finish Bubble Bobble, they were then turned back into humans. They were, weren't they? So yeah. it, was a, it was their curse. But yeah, yeah it made them so famous. So yeah. You know what I mean? Everyone preferred them. Preferred them as Maybe the dinosaurs. Bubble-blowing dinosaur dinosaur dragon things. <laughs> Yeah, they did, because that's, that's cool, yeah. right? Yeah. That's a great yeah, trilogy of games. Bubble Bubble, trailers. Rainbow no, Islands, and Parasol Stars. Brilliant. Absolute wall-to-wall bangers. Yeah. Pure bangers. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so a bit, bit of Rainbow Islands fan fiction, yeah. yeah. I, I remember doing, um, making a, uh, like a tile-based, what well, I must have played, some sort of adventure game thing, right? But it went over, like, 50 pages. But you know that thing that kids do, they're not quite as um, thorough as they want to, as they should be, and they can't really be asked. I didn't pull them out and lay it out like a game board. I just had it on like a, a drawing pad, right? Right. So I, just, so I just turned the page over, and this is the next bit, right? And just have the markers. Got to remember that. <laughs> that and like drawing street, new Street Fighter characters, but they were all like Ryu, but they were called like all Ken, but they were called like Baz instead. You know, like. <laughs> <laughs> and this guy's got brown hair, you know. Yeah, exactly. Same outfit, same moves. <laughs> Baz, Daz, and Raz, you know. Like, yeah, no, no, it's different though. It's important. That's the Mortal Kombat school of design. <sighs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it worked for them, right? Good enough for Midway. It's a bit of palette swapping. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Now, this um, one's smoke now. He's grey. <laughs> He's the grey one of the team. Um, so, so, what do your parents think of all this uh, intense uh, gaming? They, they were quite supportive of it. I mean, they were the ones that got me the Spectrum in the first place. Um, yeah, it's the only cells to blame, right? Yeah, but I, I used to. I, so I used to live in um, an area of Wolverhampton called Heath Town, which is quite a scuzzy part of town. <laughs> and I lived on the Cannock Road, which is a big main road. Um, so it wasn't a particularly safe area, and I was quite young. So my, I think my parents saw it as a way of. One, I think they'd be sold in on the sort of media treatment of it being like quite an educational thing to get in the first place. Mm. Never mind that they, they were also hopelessly hooked on most of the games that came out for it at that point. And do you remember those sort of, they were like um, Britannia, you know, that you, you, you sort of like, oh, you can get five CDs and they're all 79p each. And then that locks you into a two-year deal where you then have to buy a CD every month for 13 yes. quid. I think they did something like that with Spectrum games. So we used to sort of regularly get a new one in because they'd sort like of been suckered in by that initial, yeah, like that That's initial quite deal. Cool. Yeah. I suppose we do. I was going to say I'd like that now, but I suppose we do have that now, don't we? But yeah, you know what I mean. But through the post, <laughs> yeah, through the post, and then and then um, yeah, my local library used to um, loan them out as well. So I used to get them from all over the place, and, and my my parents used to take me. Well, my mom anyway, because my, my parents separated when I was quite young, so my mom continued to encourage it. She'd you know take me to the library if I wanted to get new games and whatever else. Um, but then it got to the point where when we were transitioning from computer to console, obviously the, the difference in price was just 
massive and she's like a single parent working a couple of jobs to keep us afloat she's like like i could deal with it when it was like three pound Codemasters games and now you're suddenly going oh you want super mario brothers 3 for 40 quid no um, <laughs> yeah so then i rapidly learned the value of money and i was having to save up pocket money and uh you know like my super nintendo was literally the result of me just stockpiling right pocket money for what was it i think it was 150 quid at the time to get it on launch day Oh my god! So yeah, I didn't have I didn't have an NES. That was always like I went to friends' houses and played. Yeah, there <clears throat> couldn't never afford a console at that point, but yeah, eventually got the Super Nintendo, and then I had to save up for the games. I was saying to a friend the other day, I used to when you watch like Games Master. Yeah, and uh, they had the Neo Geo games oh. on there, and it was like magic, just like a yeah. totally unobtainable. It was, Super system. It was nuts. Do you remember we used to get the sort of ads for the mail order software things in the back of magazines and you'd see the prices and a lot of the time it was like, oh, ask, you know, ring ring in to get the price. I was like, you know that's expensive. Yeah. And it, but it was stuff like, you know, Fatal Fury, Magician Lord and things like that would have like £150. You're like, what the yeah. hell? <laughs> yeah. What yeah. the hell? And then you, but then you go to like, this was still the age where every chip shop and every off license also had an arcade cabinet yep. so we'd have you know world heroes 2 down the road and stuff yep. you think man some people have this at home my i know God. that's samurai showdown in the chippy oh, yes <laughs> so good what a legendary Imagine game that. Yeah. yeah just in your bloody chippy yeah, i know i just, I just don't do anything i really miss those days no just stick it in the corner big bloody arcade cabinet so, yeah get like a 60p small cone <laughs> just to justify being in there and then you yeah. know play no samurai rush, showdown mate. for an hour what, yes, what are you out of for out of sausages? It'll be, it'll be about half an hour. Oh, yeah, yeah. Give me five of them then. Yeah. <laughs> but that right. was it. it was so so much of my early life is like my memories of it. I, I, gaming is so ensconced in all of it. Like I can tell you where I went on holiday because I know which cabinet they had in the, mm. the pub that I went to or the chippies I used to frequent because I know knew which games they had yeah. there or the mates I hung around with because they were the ones who would go on these little odysseys with me to these strange... Yeah, places that with kids our age weren't really supposed to go to, but they had a killer instinct cap, you know, things like that. So, <laughs> yeah. Did your mum play with you as well? She did. She did initially. Um, I think her interest waned towards the console age. I would occasionally come into the house and she'd be sneaking to go on Mario World or something. Right. But yeah. Recently, she's very much back on the mobile gaming tip. If I leave her alone five minutes, I'll see her on a laptop and she's playing some variant of candy crush right she's got yeah. like about 17 on the go you know if, if when she's run out of lives on farm heroes saga then she's on bubble witch or something else <laughs> right, so. yeah, right so you can just roll yeah yeah, yeah cycle through while the timers will be yeah, exactly right. by which time all the lives have regen on the first game and That's smart just get your schedule down and yeah you're, and you're good right yeah <laughs> So getting back, I do like to tangent mm. as a verb on the pod, but you were saying that from a young age you knew you wanted to get into the old games journalism. Yeah. And so did you, so you followed that through all the way through school, right? Pretty much very single-mindedly, yeah, yeah. pursued yeah. it, knew, knew which subjects I needed to excel at, right. knew which ones I could sort of get by at, right. knew which universities I wanted to go to to do the journalism courses. Right. You know, just everything was geared towards ultimately doing that. Yeah. Weirdly. Right. Yeah. And it, it's it, nothing else ever factored in mm. at any point. I'm, I'm thinking back going, oh, was there, any, was there ever a point where I went, oh, that could be an interesting No. Like, it was so single-minded. <clears throat> yeah. I find it's interesting. I think I'll have to think back properly, but off the top of my head, 
the people I've interviewed who, who sort of gone, oh, I kind of fell into the games bit. Mm. They're all on the dev and game art and design side. And then on the games journalism side, in whatever capacity, yeah. it tends to be like, no, I just, that was it, you know. Yeah. From early on, I was like, I'm doing that. And I'm purposefully going at that, yeah, yeah, in that yeah. direction. I know where I'm, where I'm going and what I'm doing, right? Yeah, and I, I don't think it was, it wasn't necessarily a misguided um, ambition either, because I think some people want to do something and then they maybe realise too late that they're not particularly good at the thing they want to do. Mm. But I was like, okay, I've got a natural leaning towards writing, and that's that's yeah. that tends to be what I'm naturally quite good at. Because being a fairly lazy person, I wanted to do the thing that came most easily to me as well. <laughs> okay. So I was like, oh, well, that's the thing that I need to try at the least also. <laughs> so it just worked really well like for that. me. I like that a lot. <laughs> it makes sense, right? It kind of does. Why would you not? I want, I want, the, you know, I want the, the stuff to come to me naturally and to be doing that while doing something I enjoy at the same time. I'm yeah. very much... Self-centered, I think some would say, in, in that regard. <laughs> well, I also like, think, like, with the magazines at the time, because I remember getting into all those mm. mags as well, and people, like, other people I know, and I think maybe the parents are thinking, well, he's reading. Yeah. And actually, you're, you're basically what you're doing, that, this is one of those things you go, actually, games are good for you. But <laughs> you're, reg you're reading regularly. My hand-eye coordination is yeah. unparalleled. Oh, he can't throw me anything now. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> anything in the room, you name it, any speed. Catch it and then still games. That's games. That's the Doom. power that's of games, games right there. Every time I catch anything, I go, "That's games." That, <laughs> and everyone goes, "Yeah, right." Um, <laughs> yeah, but you know, it had you regularly reading, right? And yeah, and I certainly went. And I don't know about you. I certainly went on to read loads of stuff as well because I just got into reading. Yeah, absolutely. I think it it definitely expanded my vocabulary because I you also had the natural curiosity thing because you'd read things and go oh actually I don't know what that's referring to so it was a combination of you'd, you'd be learning new words and being, being able to contextualise those new words but then they'd also make a variety of pop culture references or literary references and you know if you're that way inclined you go oh I want to know what that is yeah. I, want to, I, want to, I want to be able to get that reference so yeah, yeah. the curiosity of it right? yeah 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 so I, I think a lot of that drove me to explore other things as well. I, I, I do find that um, if you develop a, an interest in one thing, it can naturally just lead on to having a, a broader knowledge of stuff that people wouldn't expect. So like my wife always says to me, like, everything you know, you sort of learn from The Simpsons. I'm like, it's probably true. <laughs> because there's so, there's so many jokes in there that are sort of mired in other pop culture references yeah. or whatever and then suddenly you go well I'm going to find out what that is and back in the day actually my, my mum used to read a lot of um, Snoopy a lot of Peanuts and again that had a lot of American terminology in it and references to American culture so again you'd be like well what is that what is a retainer <laughs> right yeah someone's yeah. lost their retainer in the snow what's that and you, you know and then you'd sort of just dig deeper and start mm. reading around and that was pre-internet age obviously as well so books and and magazines and journals were pretty much your only. Mm, it's uh, true. It was, it was it was the only route you could take really to find out more. Nowadays, I see something, I go, I don't know what that is. Ten seconds later, I've I've neoed it. So it's <laughs> I know it. everything. You know? <laughs> yeah, 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 it's true. So as a result, mm -hmm. you've got the uni you wanted, or well, or well, you know which one you want. I don't yep. know whether you got it. I did. <laughs> okay, that's fine. <laughs> You're like, oh, actually, I didn't. It wasn't a great one. Don't worry. About it. Um, <laughs> And then, did you go straight in? How was it? How was it? The transition from finishing uni to actually getting a job in the industry. What was it, that? It like? was remarkably straightforward. So <laughs> it was well. 
I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, again, I didn't take the most traditional route because I didn't do the thing where I did uh, like work experience at university. I actually wrote to a variety of publishers. Future was still the, you know, the biggest one at the time then. Oh. And it was just met with complete silence, just absolutely no interest. I, I started a games section in my uh, student paper and, you know, did, did the sort of legwork in an extracurricular sense on that side, uh, but never really managed to get an in. Uh, with with anyone to sort of get that initial experience, any internships or anything, so I went straight back to Wolverhampton, lived in my mum's attic for a, a few months, and was just temping. I, I used to do like paralegal work because I was um, I was trained as a touch typist at school, and I could use all the okay. actual stuff. So right. yeah, I was this weird novelty boy who the temp agency brought in. So you know, you go into you no, go into novelty a, boy, novelty boy. You, you go into a solicitors, and it was all these women who were like in their fifties who'd been working for the same solicitor since they were twenty, and suddenly like this nineteen-year-old scrawny lad walks in, and like, all right. <laughs> I'm going to type some letters and then you know you'd, you'd go in and do that um, and, th and, th and then they, were, they realised you were sort of one of them because you could actually do what they did <laughs> um, they'd never had anyone like of your age or gender in that office doing that job before yeah. um, and then uh, my mum spotted uh, a job listing for a staff writer at playstation.com in the, in the Guardian uh, and I went for it and, and I, I basically got it in the space mm. of in the space of like a couple of interviews. So I had to go down to London, do the interview, and then um, yeah, they was like, "Well, you've got no job, so can you start in a week?" I was like, "Yeah, all right." Whereabouts are you travelling from? Where, where did you grow up? Uh, so I, I travelled in from Wolverhampton, went down to London, and then I had a week to find a place. And then my first place was in Hounslow West through a friend of a friend of a friend. Right. Uh, that was all very surreal. That was a very surreal six months. Really, the highlight. The highlight was um, it was owned by this strange, small, stocky man who idolised Mike Tyson and the Tasmanian Devil. Okay. Uh, he used to work around business a lot in tech, and so I was kind of a house sitter for him. So one weird thing was that his mates had a key for his house. So regularly on a Friday night after a night out, they would just arrive at the house with like a giant bucket of KFC, sit in his living room and eat it and then go. Okay. I gradually ingratiated myself with them and was offered chicken. <laughs> it was right. fine. But okay. then, then, but then um, he had an arranged marriage, this guy, and he was getting his house ready for his wife who was going to arrive from another country. And um, he was going to knock through the living room, and I was I was I was staying in a room on the ground floor. Um, and he was going to knock through his living room and kind of extend into that room, and I was going to move upstairs. Okay. But the day that the guy was going to come over and do the sort of demoli demolition of the wall was the day I was supposed to get all my stuff out and relocate it. I was working in Piccadilly at the time, which was a very long way from Hounslow, yeah. and I couldn't afford a taxi to Hounslow at that time as well because I was on a staff writer's pittance um and it just so happened that that was the day they decided to put all the there was a big strike on the underground so i couldn't get back and i left him a voicemail and said can you delay knocking the wall through for another day because i cannot get back to hounslow west no response uh, naively i assumed clearly he got the message he's gonna <laughs> delay it yeah, got it. home to find all of my stuff covered in the most sort of loose fashion with bin liners and just brick dust just like 
all of my worldly possessions just like coated in fucking brick dust. Oh. Uh, so that was that was a fun cleanup operation. Mm. Um, and not long after that, I left. Yeah. Unsurprisingly, yeah, good times. But yeah, every, I think everyone's first home in London experience. Yeah, has some kind of weirdness. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You just got to say, well, where can I get? It. Yeah, yeah. It's just where can I get? Yeah, and then gradually sort of take oh, it. Oh, yeah. London, take, London's take it full of there. terrible, terrible landlords. Many may know you for Video Game Nation. Yeah. Which was uh, a cool series. I've really enjoyed that, yeah. Yeah. That, so that and came Alec. off the back of, I guess, building up a reputation through Xbox. Yeah. And then Xbox sort of shutting us down unceremoniously, starting up the business. And then, yeah, I was approached by Jinx, uh, Jinx TV, who'd already done one series of Video Game Nation, um, which was widely derided. Um I don't think even they would mind us saying right, that it was. Yeah, it okay. was just it was just slammed <laughs> because they decided to get two hosts in who weren't familiar with the subject matter. Right, and uh, you know, right people yeah. people just smell bullshit straight. Yeah, away. see through it immediately. Don't they? So yeah. they said, "Can you come and help us salvage this show?" Right. So they approached you and said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." They came to me thing. and said, "Yeah, like we really want to we we really want to rework the format. We want to bring in authentic voices, people who you know have already got an established." Uh, capacity for presenting and also knowledge and respect within the yeah within yeah. that community. So obviously they got they got myself in, they got uh, Aoife in, who's now obviously a Eurogamer, um, and John Robertson, who was the one element of uh, the old series that they kept in, right? Because he had that he he was the proper crossover. Like he was a really funny comedian, but also had the knowledge. He'd already done his own YouTube gaming stuff, and he just bought this manic wildcard energy <laughs> to the show as well so right. so between the three of us there was me who was like the fairly straight-laced authority on it um Aoife, who's just you know just fantastic on camera was already a known quantity within jinx as well yeah. knows her shit inside out and then and then john who just bought the chaos and then they they, they added a series of um regular talking heads from the comedy and gaming side as well. So people like Ellie Gibson and, and Chris Slight and some of the inside people like Chris Bond. And um, yeah, um, I'm obviously forgetting tons of names there. Keith Stewart, I remember, was on it as well. Keza McDonald. So yeah, it was it was just a really good collection of respected people doing a, a, a pretty serious gaming show on a weekly basis to obscene deadlines and turnarounds <laughs> yeah um, but all sort of doing it for the love of it and managing to eke out three series of it and i just i just remember i did the voiceover or for the uh, for an ad for it that appeared like between episodes of monday night raw and stuff like that so <laughs> yeah for a while we had an ad that was on sky between the wrestling really? and stuff i was like this is awesome i'm between the wrestling oh shit yeah yeah it was it was awesome um because we got really good ratings i think we were sort of an unexpected hit in the time slots it was like 11 a.m. on Challenge TV, which is like, you know, it's, yeah. it's it's a quiz show reruns channel. Sure, yeah. And for some reason, they just plonked a video game show in the middle of the morning. You know, yeah. mid morning on a mid morning on a Saturday, uh, and they were like, "Oh fuck, the, the 
figures are really good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I suppose it's almost as almost a refreshing and surprising element there, isn't it? If you if you stick it on challenge like that, because yeah. people may be watching and say, well, I'll stick challenge and I'll watch some old family fortunes or whatever. Yeah, then exactly. suddenly comes on like, wait a minute, this is new. An original show. <laughs> what? Yes. It would sort of sit so, like, you know, so they think, wait a minute. Funny thing is, my, my mom appeared on a bunch of quiz shows in the sort of late 80s. Right. early 90s so we've actually both appeared on challenge tv because they <laughs> did reruns of i think it might have been wheel of fortune or win lose or draw she was on both of them but right. they reran one of those so oh my God. weirdly i can claim to my mom and i can claim to have been on the same on the channel. same channel <laughs> odd story um, um yeah so so it was, yeah so um it was it was just really really good fun made made on an absolute shoestring but um I think it was it was everything we wanted a video game show to be that was feasible within that budget and that timeline. Yeah, you know, because we just figured game shows, even on TV in the YouTube age, have to be current. And you, I just remember the likes of Games Master was made months in advance, and they'd broadcast it, and they'd have someone going on, "Dear Games Master, can I have a tip for doing this on Super Mario Brothers three? Even yeah. though that came out eight months ago, you know, it was it <laughs> yeah. just it very it, a lot of it had no relevance. So we tried to keep it as uh, current as we as we possibly could. Yeah, I think broke a few people, but <laughs> yeah, talk to me about like that sort of getting it turned over on a weekly basis. Like, it, what was that like? It was just a really amazing collaborative effort. So we obviously had a timeline of when games were coming out and that side of it. And then we'd all be allocated our, our element of the show. So sometimes I'd lead it. Uh, sometimes I'd be doing like a top five element or something. You know, our position, the show always rotated, which meant that writing duties or the, the amount of writing we had to do per episode also changed because doing the lead part was always the biggest because you had to be the main review and you had to do the links as well on that side of it. Um, and so, yeah, we'd be on rotation as hosts, which I thought was a really, you know, democratic way of doing it as well. There was no, like, main presenter. Yeah. We were all the leads and we were all given our chance to sort of shine. And obviously we could choose if it was a game that we were particularly passionate about or or subject that we were, that we were passionate about. Uh, and then there was just a great small team at Jinx, um, uh, the game, the main guy, uh, Adam Mason, was sort of running things, but it was also shooting it as well. Uh, and then we had like Chris Bond, who's one of the producers, and there was a, just a small edit team as well. And I would just always throw them for a loop and go, right, I'm doing a bit about Fallout. I want you to recreate vats in this <laughs> shot. Do, do that in vats. Like, like, what? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it was like, yes, I, I'm presenting, and throughout the show, I am telling an intern that they're shit at making coffee and by the end they use vats on me to hit me in the balls <laughs> like, okay cool i get it now like do that yeah <laughs> that's great or we do a telltale thing where i'd insult the audience and then it would come up like they will remember that right yeah yeah Just, you know things like that i always like the idea if you're talking about a game try and work in as much yeah of the game into what you're doing because it's just a fun little hook to keep so i guess you have to do most of that on the fly right yeah essentially like yeah. the time to actually write stuff would be yeah you you, you talk, well I, I, I built up the i guess i built up the skill for it from xbox because again we were putting out daily video content there and then the key yeah. shows which like sent you a message in the nexus we alternated those uh every other every other saturday and so we were putting out like 15 minute shows at the end of each week while also building up this other content throughout yeah. the week. So we had to be very um, economical about the way we were 
doing it. So you, yeah. you, you just applied that mentality to this, I, I guess, and was like, well, what's the what's the sort of cheapest way that we can make this work and still <laughs> still be funny and not just like absolute dog shit? Yeah, um, yeah. and I, and I think everyone just had a passion for it. So it, you know, I think I think. I say this on behalf of the editors who probably just absolutely fucking hated me, but I, th I think everyone just had a lot of fun making that as a flagship show for Jinx and yeah, um, and it got a lot of respect. Um, I think it was like nom I think it was nominated for a Games Media Award one year as well. Um, so that felt like a badge of acceptance as well that it was yeah accepted by that sort of broader circle. And here we are now. Yeah, with Explosive Allen in 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 our office. How so? I mean, how did this all kick off then? Eh? Uh, this is this is all from the ashes of of Inside Xbox, really. Um, yeah, we 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 knew we had a dedicated community, loads of fans. The American offering was not quite as good, um, but yeah. they poured millions into it. Whereas we were <laughs> scrabbling for money every time we wanted like, uh, a new camera or something, you know, essential. Yeah. Um, and so we we just got caught in the blast. They closed down the American one. Decided, I think this was just before they'd announced the direction of Xbox One, which at that point was the TV, 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 Call of Duty, TV, TV, TV approach. Mm. And we just didn't fit into that yeah. new model at all. We were, I think, we were a bit too sort of. We we positioned ourselves as outsiders. That was the whole point. It was like you you've got all your marketing content. Now here's a bit that's kind of just for you, that feels a bit ultra and a bit a bit sort of yeah. on the fringes of. Xbox, uh, you know what they would allow, which which it was. We we weren't um, we weren't controlled by the marketing team, which I was very surprised by. So we didn't really have to get sign off for anything we made. <laughs> so right. I, think, I think eventually, after forty years, that caught up with us. <laughs> Every month, wait a minute. I was like, Hang on a minute, oh, <laughs> you can't do that. Yeah, you know, we were getting Rob Florence on to play his character called Independent Charles, and he just made <laughs> yes. some fucking brilliant, but batshit stuff yes. and I just remember watching the first episode going I love this everyone is going to hate it and then the, but the funny thing is that when I went uh, to I used to go to the Redmond HQ in Seattle quite a lot and there was an indie team there and the reason we started up the show is because Rob Rob um, messaged me on Twitter back when Twitter wasn't you know evil um, uh, and, and said oh you know I like what you're doing but where's the indie game stuff because there's some really crazy stuff on there I was like honestly we are flat out making everything we do already we haven't even got time to do an indie show and he was like well what if what if i did one i was like yeah all right yeah go for it yeah so he just did it he just did it like pro bono it was right. it was amazing um he, he made like five or six episodes i think he yeah made. it was it was actually really good yeah, yeah. And, he, and he gave me the pitch for it i was like that sounds really funny and at the time i was very much into the adult swim yeah comedy stuff and i was like this is absolutely up there Tim and Eric territory like I, yeah i really really liked it yeah and i just put it out there and i was like obviously everyone was like what is this but then you got the people that you wanted to like it saying that they really liked it and i was like ah we're onto a good thing now yeah so this is the roundabout way of saying that when i was in america the indie team said to me oh we had like an indie day here with loads of fans um you know from the american community along to check out the indie games and a lot of, a lot of them were saying that they really loved independent charles and wanted to know like more about it and i was like that's strange because it's not shown on the american dashboard so it seems like these people had deliberately got UK accounts to watch like the stuff we were making. They were like into send you a message or into they were into independent right. Charles. And I was like, that's cool. That's really cool that American the American audience is like of deliberately creating UK accounts just to watch our shit. Yeah. Because it's it's a sort of a far cry from the slightly sanitized stuff that Major Nelson was putting out. Yeah, and it's that quality of um 
feedback on what you're doing as opposed to quantity, isn't it? Yeah. I was talking to another Dan in a previous episode, Dan Krupa. Right, about, yes. About, you know, there's a difference between having the numbers, right, on the socials and yeah. what that actually translates to absolutely yeah um and something like that is such a, a clear sign of what well, people want this yeah. sort of stuff yeah if, if that's happening yeah it's, it means a lot more than you know something ticking up yeah absolutely about but yeah i mean i'd I love i love that more and more people like like Krupa and gavin those guys of you know are finding success independently you can never underestimate the idea you know they wouldn't they wouldn't be where they are now if they hadn't got that massive platform of IGN initially yeah. to to find that audience in the same way that we did with 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 Microsoft but i just i love that that's becoming a sort of a cycle now is that these channels are being used to almost create personalities who are then able to go off and flourish yeah independently and and actually from speaking to them a while about they said IGN were like actually very cool about it because it was, in a way, a mass exodus. That was that, they were the, the actual. Mm. You know, they were the heart of yes. IGN UK. They were they yeah. were making amazing stuff yeah. for them. Yeah, yeah. In the same way that previously we'd seen Matt Lee's leave Video Gamer, and then yeah, and then Jamie Trinker after that as well. And, yeah, uh, you know, forming Special Gun. So um, yeah, I, I've 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 really enjoyed that more and more people are doing kind of what we did back then. Um, I guess going back to your original point, it started because when we got shut down we realized that people still wanted us to make stuff uh and things like kickstarter and indiegogo were in their infancy so we said oh there's an opportunity there well why don't we just say something like do you want us to keep doing stuff then you can help us do that because we've just been fucking just hung out to dry by microsoft and you know we were a footnote in a major nelson press release effectively when we were let go as well so that just incensed people further um, so yeah, we ran an Indiegogo campaign. We we made uh, what I still think is quite a funny video about what we wanted to do and what our goals were, and we 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 raised the money on the basis that we were going to develop a new video game show format, which we did, and it was this thing called Thank You for Playing, which was a cool. We built this bespoke interactive player, so it was like a thirty-minute episode, but divided into like five segments, which you could watch in any order. And then as you were watching those segments, the timeline intelligently knew when you were hitting certain points and unlocked extra stuff relevant to that bit you were watching. Yeah. And we, we had like, I worked with a guy to make a mini game. So you unlocked a mini game, you unlocked um, podcasts. We had articles written by like Christian Donlan on there. Like all sorts of stuff. It was very time intensive and the feedback when it came out was amazing. But it was also peak YouTube churn. So it was like, oh, you're trying to make this really nice handcrafted time intensive show that you're going to make like six of in as many months what we want is 300 videos in five weeks yeah sort of thing so you know it was it was lots of thanks but no thanks and it was yeah. very hard to really take that any further but off the back of that it really helped us get our foot in the door with a lot of uh publishers people realized that we you know we knew our stuff when it came to making video and what we were talking about and so we just built relationships with the publishers and gradually stepped away from community facing stuff not out of laziness i think we were sort of, we we're at an age where we're, we're all in our early 30s and starting families and that kind of thing and it was like do we really want to start a youtube channel from scratch and and hope that down the line in a few years the ad money is going to pay our bills or do we just start making video for commercial money and that's the route we we took ultimately um and video game nation came in the midst of that so for me it was like oh i can still keep my feet in editorial sure. waters yeah. 
while still, you know, selling out massively <laughs> as, as a company. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> it's reality, folks. That is, That's the way is. the world works, kids. Did it make it um, less scary to um, to put more effort into explosive on because you knew you had that kind of previous and that that pedigree mm. that that people were out of and people liked? Did it make it less scary to sort of go right? Let's get this up off. The yeah, ground? I mean, it, uh, did it feel less risky? It or? was scary up until the first day of the Kickstarter, and then we smashed the goal in like twelve hours. <laughs> Because um, we were so excited about it, and when it actually worked, we were just like, "Holy, holy shit, guys! This everything's going to be all right. Yeah, everything's right. going to be okay." Um, and it, and it, you know, it allowed us to buy our gear and you yeah. know get an office and just all the stuff you sort of need to get going. Um, but even so, the first the first six months or so were really rocky. We we had to be bailed out by my mum of all people, right? Uh, at one point, because it was just like, "Fuck, we we're on the verge of like." Some of because I basically, basically like some of us got Microsoft payouts because I'd been there full time for like five years, but the others hadn't. Mm. Like Gareth, who's one of our directors, had been there like a year, and he was a contractor, so he got like nothing. So yeah. he was like, "We need to start making money, otherwise, things we just can't continue like this." So we we got that little bailout, which we eventually paid back, but that was just what we needed to get over that difficult hump. Mm. And then we've and then we carried on. So we're, we're seven years seven years in now, and and doing all right. Right, yeah. So initially, yeah. just that real sort of struggle to actually get. Yeah, it's a going. climb, man. It's a climb. But then that's you know that happens a lot, right? That's, yeah, that's that's how it goes. It's yeah. how it goes for a lot of people, and it's like just that just that little bit of money made such a huge difference to just allowing us to survive for one more month, and then yeah. I mean, how did you get through it? You know, in terms of actually getting the work up and running, like in that six month period, what it was, was the... I, I, I always put it's just serendipity. I find most of the time you work hard to you know doorstep people I guess you know I always find that like, like cold calling people hate cold emails and stuff like that so it was just yeah. like let's just work with the people we know chat to them and just say you know what can we do for you and it was it was sort of, you know it was very proto business development we weren't that savvy at that point so um, yeah and we just made a few critical contacts and you know you, you do one good job mm. and then they're like alright you're pretty good so we'll keep coming back to you. Mm. And we found that's that's always been the secret to the success of the company so far has been just getting that one opportunity to prove yourself and then you develop then you build that trust like immediately. Yeah. And yeah. they go, Okay, you're not bluffing, you're not you know, you know your shit and you can you can do good stuff. Um so we've we've had a very good relationship with PlayStation Europe for years. We're building one right now with Red Bull Gaming, which is has been the most interesting in terms of making proper editorial again. It's something I've really enjoyed because it's like potential for documentaries and things like that. Whereas other stuff has been, you know, trailers and, you know, talking heads videos and things like that. It's like, oh, yeah. this is something I can actually get my teeth into again and make some fun, serious, serious content and go around and meet people. That does seem to be the the, the sort of stuff Rebel wanting to put out now as well. Yeah. Like kind of more of a story, right? It's yeah. you know, FGC things and, and everything else they're starting to support yeah, yeah, there, yeah there's always that sort of like oh can someone have a can of red bull in one shot and you're oh like, yeah, and you're yeah, like, yeah 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 fine cool <laughs> yeah of that's course. great and I, but i always i've always loved that corporate approach of going we like stuff by association rather than hard sell content yeah i know it's like we just want to make really good gaming editorial and 
that might make people drink a can of Red Bull. Yeah. <laughs> Fine. All right. I love. I love it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah it's exactly. like cool. If, that, if that's a side effect, that that's great. So um, yeah, we we were in Germany a couple of weeks ago talking to a musician called the Fat Rat. But he's a German like EDM musician who's like really in with the gaming community because he made all of his music um, available copyright free right. and for free. And so all these you know YouTubers who were playing Dota Two and whatever else suddenly had this bank of music they could use, and he just built a massive um, audience based just built on respect mm. for the for his business model, mm. and he's just turned that into a into a business because people are now he's almost done it backwards he's like going well people are going to torrent music anyway so i'm just going to make my music available for free but i'll put it up on itunes and whatever else if people want to give me money fair dues and they and they have and he's performed at like the last two or three esl one like dose two finals and um yeah he's like one of these people that has properly transcended the boundaries between like mainstream music and gaming and sort of has respectability on both sides so we went to his house in in uh Göttingen, a little place in germany and then we went to berlin uh he's just like the nicest guy he's probably the nicest guy we've ever worked with <laughs> just lovely just absolutely lovely um uh and yeah and it was like oh man this is such a cool thing to do and if that goes well we might get a full series of doing that with other interesting high achievers in, in gaming all over the world so yeah i'm really hoping that pans out basically so is this some of your favorite stuff you've done would you say or what what are the things yeah. that have uh, stood out over the years um some some of the sort of weirder stuff that we've pitched to sony and actually got away with has always been fun like we there's one video where i still see like product managers from sony going i still don't know how you got that through right. and that was when they wanted to do an unboxing for the playstation 4 pro and we were like blow it up I was like, the raw, untamed power of the PlayStation 4 is so much that a mere unboxing will not suffice. It will explode out of the box. <laughs> that's like the way you just go, blow it up, blow it up. It's so powerful. So that's what we did. Yeah. Um, we, we, we took, you know, empty PlayStation 4 Pro boxes into this warehouse space, got a pyro guy, detonated it in slow motion, and then pretended that the PlayStation itself just remained absolutely untouched, pristine <laughs> within. All right. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I was like, I can't believe we got away with that. We did an unboxing for a game called Farpoint uh, VR game, PSVR game, where we went to, well, two, two of our guys went to Lanzarote, and they had a, a thing called a Crichton. It's a custom head-mounted camera rig, and we had this camera on them, and they went to a random quarry in Lanzarote, which was cheaper than actually trying to hire a quarry in the UK, just flying to Lanzarote for a day. <laughs> okay. Um, mocked up like uh, the space explorer's gloves with like motorcycle gloves, which he sort of scratched up and some dishwasher tubing and some other stuff. And basically had him in first person going around this quarry, which was like a Doctor Who style alien planet and locating the Farpoint box, you know, in this far <laughs> off land. And then we comped on some, you know, multiple moons in the distance in a in a in a hood and things like that right yeah and it was just, it's awesome i just love being able to pitch weird stuff and just someone going yeah yeah go for it yeah when do you that. just get the freedom just go, yeah just, just do it come back with us yeah. come back to sorry come back to it <sighs> come back to us with it yeah and uh yeah and do it yeah my i think one of my personal favorites because i peed on it was we did a trailer for surgeon simulator for bossa for the switch version yes and we hired a, a, a london bus 
uh, and a bunch of extras, most of whom just worked at Bossa and, and a few actors. Uh, and I played the surgeon who was playing the game on the bus. And we drove it. We drove this hired like route master uh, up and down this street near, I think it was near like Orpington, just up, just round and round and round. And the bus wasn't air conditioned. And it was one of those ridiculous summer days we had a couple of years ago. Like 35 36 degrees oh. we were working with a lot of raw meat oh no because we were we'd obviously we'd mocked up you know sheep's hearts to be intestines and we'd covered them in fake blood and my thing was that like i was playing it on the switch but then i was like fart fishing out organs from the game yeah on the bus and like an old granny was giving me a plastic bag to put this liver into and <laughs> right and stuff like that but even though it was like deeply uncomfortable it was such an enjoyable day yeah. again to be like yeah we've got this really fucking stupid idea with blood and guts and then we got so many lovely messages and the buzz was and then the trailer like appeared on on the switch itself and it, so it was on the official nintendo store and stuff and i was like oh man i'm, I'm really fanboying out now that's you know, great like, I'm, I'm on the trailer i'm on the nintendo <laughs> store <laughs> yeah, it's so. like that many years on how many years have I mean, i've been in the industry what 18 years and i still i still get a massive buzz from stuff like that yeah. just yeah which is cool. Which yeah. is really nice. Because I was a Nintendo fanboy when, when I was a kid, and now I'm like appearing in a video at the store. You know, all can full circle. Just makes you, like, yeah. It just makes you, you know, like you say, giggle. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm nearly forty and I still. Like <laughs> 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 it happens. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> The most important thing here is definitely just the sense of looking forward to coming into the office every day. I think from my early years and my early aims to get into like games journalism, which technically I failed because I didn't. <laughs> I suppose, yeah. It's <laughs> one way of looking I've never, at it. I've, I've, wrote, I've, I've written a few you know freelance bits but technically i never got into games journalism I've, i always worked on the corporate side and then start exploding the island so there you go oh revelation i've, I've failed you just you just realized that I the time like, oh, i failed shit. i became a corporate <laughs> shill from day one or in the very outset no but it was it was it was always that idea that i want to look forward to going to work and i did i did the usual thing of working in like local coffee shops um, hmm. well, I worked at the coffee shop in Beatty's, which anyone from the Midlands will know was like the primo department store in Wolverhampton. Um, and I saw people there who'd been working there for thirty years, and that was that hmm. was that was their lot. And I was like, I don't want to be those people. And then I did the same thing. When I was working as a secretary, and I was surrounded by the same people. Like lifers, always surrounded by lifers. Yeah. And I was and I was just like, I want to be doing something that I just I'm actively getting up and going, yeah, I'm gonna gonna fucking work today, yeah. Um, yeah. And so when I when we when the three of us started this, it was primarily to be a lifestyle business, which was something that just suited us and that we we liked each other and would hope to continue to like each other once we'd sort of gone into business together because it is a risky thing to do um, when you're the ones who are holding the purse strings. Yeah, uh, money is just a d destroyer of worlds when it comes to things like that. It, you know, just it just destroys. Yeah, good friendships, and it, and it really and it really can do, and maybe down the line it still will. Who knows? <laughs> <clears throat> but right now the going's good. 
you know, seven years in, uh, we still love it. We still have our lunchtime Overwatch sessions and we still laugh and dick about. And we, we always say that we've we've kind of gone native. You know, if if tomorrow everything fell down and we had to go back into like a normal working environment, we might not survive anymore. I think, um, I, think I totally agree with that yeah. from my point of view as well. Yeah, it's, it's I don't weird. know what I do. No, it's it's not, you know, we're very professional at what we do, but we're very unprofessional in the way that we conduct ourselves, I would say. <laughs> we don't have a HR department. We have a button that says HR if someone transgresses what we perceive to be an unwritten HR law. That's, that's an kind HR of, button. Like an, an HR, HR alarm. Yeah. It's literally a button that goes, HR! <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's kind of the extent of it. Um, yeah, it's it and it yeah. So 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 it's it's fun and and the nature of our work as well means that we're always having to come up with new ideas and if we're lucky enough to have someone go, yeah, do that, then we have the fun of putting that together as well. So there's always those unexpected challenges of of making something new. So you're not stuck in this holding pattern. I think I think that was our fear. If we'd gone the community side and started churning out YouTube content, that then you are you're stuck in that cycle then for the foreseeable if it goes well then you've just got to keep generating that stuff and it's and it's pretty merciless it's a pretty merciless environment you know if you drop off for a few days then subs just drop off because people are assholes basically Ugh, they're not making any content but forget them then <laughs> weird mentality yes Ugh, they want to sleep <laughs> fuck them unsubscribe <laughs> What a bizarre, bizarre culture. And also that, <clears throat> then it becomes not particularly discernibly different from a day-to-day -day grind as as, no, as regular becomes, as a coffee shop. No, right? it becomes a bit factory-made. It becomes mm. a bit, it becomes a bit conveyor belt, doesn't it? So, um, yeah, I, I think I think we've successfully steered clear of that. Um, so yeah, it, it always feels like I'm not quite sure what I'm going to be walking into every day. And I, I like that, but I also like the fact that because we're because we're parents, we have made sure that we haven't lost sight of the fact that that's ultimately what matters. And so, with various problems that we have, everyone has it, be it illnesses or nursery problems or childminder issues or whatever else. There's nobody at the top who's going, "Oh God, so unprofessional! How dare you!" You know, everyone's sympathetic to it. So there's just that sensation that, oh, okay, we're all parents. Pretty much everyone we hire is a parent as well. I think we've got one person who doesn't have kids. Right. And so we're all just very accepting and we just sort of go, okay, cool. We know that's just how life is. There's, there's nobody being judgy about that stuff. And so you, 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 feel, you feel comfortable because we're making stuff at the end of the day. And if you're not making the stuff, then people know you're not pulling your weight. So we all make the stuff, but we do it in a time frame that, that suits us and allows us to live normal lives in the middle of it as well and be, and be there for our children. Yeah, be there for your children. And it's important, man. Yes. I love that. I love being there for my kid. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, thank you very much. No problem. Seventh man. Dan number seven. Seventh Dan, yeah. Grandmaster Dan. Almost Grandmaster Dan. Almost. <laughs> <laughs>